Welcome to Leaning In and Speaking Out, a Research Connection podcast. This is a podcast from Brandon University's Centre for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies, or BU Cares. Every episode, we connect with a researcher and a community member around a topic of interest. We want to model how research connects with the broader community and highlight the knowledge that both researchers and community members bring to the table. Welcome to Listening In and Speaking Out. This is the second episode of a special three episode series on a very relevant topic, considering September and October center around World Suicide Prevention Day, which just passed us on September 10th, and World Mental Health Day, which is October 10th. We're here today to discuss suicidality in rural communities across Canada. So before we begin, I would like to preface this by saying that we are talking about a sensitive subject today, suicide, and lived experience of suicide will be discussed. If the topic of suicide, suicidal ideation, and or self-harm are triggering for you, please be cautious while listening and engage in self-care and reach out for supports if needed. So this episode series stems from a recent project undertaken by Brandon University's Centre for Critical Studies of Rural Mental Health. The Public Health Agency of Canada, in partnership with the Mental Health Commission of Canada, previously completed a project investigating suicide but felt that there were populations whose voices were missing. In spring of 2020, the centre was contracted by the Public Health Agency of Canada to investigate one of these missing groups, rural and remote communities we conducted an in-depth scoping review of existing literature on rural suicide and conducted six focus groups across Canada. Three main themes emerged, stigma, service accessibility, and lived experience. This brings us to today. My name is Kira Rausch, and I am a research assistant for the center and for this project. I'm here today with a very special guest who is going to help me speak to one of the three main themes we uncovered in the project service accessibility. So Kim, welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. It's nice to be here. Of course, I'm very excited to have you. So Kim, I just want to start off and give the, the listeners um, a little introduction to yourself and a little background about your experience with mental health. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to share that with you. Well, I grew up on a small uh, mixed farm in southwestern Manitoba. And uh, when I grew up, I went away to university and, and spent a few years at the U of M and then decided that I wanted to do a left turn and do something completely different and, and go into psychiatric nursing. So um, that uh, took me closer to home because Brandon at that time had the Brandon Mental Health Center School of Nursing, which is now the location of uh, ACC on the North Hill there. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and it, you know, it was a really interesting time to graduate from psychiatric nursing at that point, because what was happening at that time, Kira, Kira, if you remember, if you recall, deinstitutionalization of folks who were at the center uh, were, you know, the shift was to move people out into the community and, mm -hmm. and to lean more on community-based programming. And so there was a lot of controversy and concern and and optimism and, and uh, you know, forward thinking on that, hoping that this would be a really positive shift. And uh, so it was an interesting time to, to enter the profession. 
So I, you know, I've been involved in mental health uh, close to 30 years now. Most of it, I have been working in the field of crisis counseling. Mm-hmm. I worked for the Manitoba Farm and Rural Northern Support Services, or we, uh, we call it the Farm Stress Line for short, but um, <laughs> worked there for 20 years, uh, working with farm and rural people. And uh, that's how I first met you, Kira, as you know, you're one of our, our wonderful volunteers who would come and, and help us uh, answer calls, working with staff, uh, people who were calling those lines. We had a, a toll-free uh, general crisis line. We had the Manitoba suicide prevention line in that office as well. Yep. So lots of experience uh, working with people in distressed states and, and in deteriorating kind of mental health conditions and, and people seeking information and support. So um, in addition to that work at the same time, I was also running a suicide bereavement support group for 10 years for people who had lost somebody to suicide, which was very um, challenging, but very rewarding kind of work as well. Yeah, very important work for sure. Yeah, I think we, we often place a lot of emphasis on the prevention side of suicide and less on the postvention side. And, and what we, we know in the postvention world is that postvention is prevention because those folks yeah. that have lost somebody are often at a greater risk for suicide themselves. So just as important to be working with those folks too. Um, And then, you know, um, I guess more currently, I have been working for the University of Guelph, um, the mental health literacy program that was developed by Dr. Andrea Jones-Bitten and Dr. Brianna Hagen. And uh, it, uh, I've been um, facilitating workshops across Canada, informing and, and providing information to farmers themselves, rural people, people in the egg industry, about mental health and about mental illness and about addictions and and suicide awareness and giving people the tools that they need so that they can help support one another or or get the help themselves. So that's kind of taken me up to what I'm doing presently. I think the one thing that I would maybe just add is that because we're talking about gaps in services, my experience in in working in mental health, uh, we keep coming up against the fact that farmers, and that's kind of my area of expertise, so you'll probably hear me talking about farmers a lot, but farmers specifically don't pay into an EAP program like many Canadians have access to. And so they're at a disadvantage in in that respect. And so we're trying to get a no-cost in-person or online counseling service available to farmers, to their families, and to their employees to kind of fill that gap. So, yeah, I I guess that's a little bit about kind of where I'm at in my career and what I've been doing that leads me to having this conversation with you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being here. Obviously, for everyone listening, clearly Kim is an expert <laughs> in the field well, that we're talking about today. And um, and I also should add too, and I, I failed to mention, but you know, that's kind of my professional side of things. But for myself, um, my own mental health recovery, I when I had my first daughter, uh, I suffered with postpartum depression, and I was pretty sure that's what it was, but was very resistant 28 years ago to seek help for fear of of the stigma attached to it. And eventually I, I did reach out and get help and that helped me to get the, the support that I need and, and for me to be more open about, you know, my lifelong journey and sometimes struggle with anxiety. So there's also that, that personal side of things too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think what comes up often, I think it's a trend, I'm not going to say it's everyone, but a lot of people who do work in this field and devote a lot of their their time, their energy, their lives to this field tend to have some kind of personal Mm -hmm. connection to the mental health world. I personally am not versed in farm, but that's why I'm so excited to have Kim here is because she is, and that is definitely, when we're talking rural, you're really working with some rural people and communities. So let's just, I guess, jump into it broadly. When we say service accessibility in rural Mm -hmm. communities, what does that mean to you? I think um, when I hear about accessibility, I kind of think about four major components to that. And the first one I would say is, are the services equitable and fair Mm -hmm. for people that live outside of urban centers? You know, maybe I'll touch on the four components and I'll kind of bounce back to them. So equitable and fair, is it culturally sensitive and informed for the population that you're working with? Mm -hmm. Is it affordable and accessible to the, the, the needs of the people that you're serving? And is it is it or can it be anonymous and confidential? Because that's really important for folks in, in rural sure. Manitoba because it's a small, you know, um, multiple communities, but it's a small community out here and, and word gets around. So that's that's really important to people. Um, when I say fair and equitable, I think about the fact that one in five Canadians are going to be diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in their life. But five out of five of us, have mental health. Yes. So we all, we all have mental health. And um, we need to look at that just like we do our physical health. We need to stay on top of it, be aware of it, know what the signs are when we're starting to, to struggle, just as we do with our physical health. And I think it's just so crucial that people living outside city limits, um, whether it's in Manitoba or other provinces, have the same access to uh, a variety of services that can help them with their mental health. Now, we're not going to have the same breadth of services that you have in an urban center in every small community, right. but we still need to have some choices. And very closely connected to that is the piece about having access to Wi-Fi and internet services and cell phone services and that, and that kind of thing. I think so fair and equitable. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to add to that point when you talk about we all have mental health. You know, if anyone listening in did listen in last week, I had a really good discussion um, with Richard about what is good mental health. Yes. (laughs) I think that fair and equitable and that fact that, you know, we need to treat it the same as physical health is really good because when we talk about mental health, it's not just the absence of mental illness. You're You're not in good mental health necessarily if you're not diagnosed with mental illness. That's right. That's a really good distinction to make. And, you know, we've been treating mental health and physical health in these two separate silos when really they're one and the same. If, if you have, you know, languishing mental health, that has direct impacts on your physical well-being. And if you have physical illness or disease, that has a direct impact on your, on your mental health. So we need to put the strong emphasis of, of reaching out for help um, when you are struggling with your mental health just like we do with our physical health. It's, it's very similar. So yeah, it's always a first step to actually have an open conversation yeah. that doesn't feel, you know, <clears throat> pressured or some people are going to say yeah. de- depressing with, I have quotation marks there. Like it's, this is a casual conversation Yeah, and then about, you know, obviously very, can be a difficult subject. Absolutely. That's kind of how we need to present hard. it. So, um, 
So yeah, culturally informed and sensitive. So what I mean by that piece is it's, it's important that farm and rural people are able to reach out and, and connect with people who understand the culture that exists out here, the nuances of, of the work that they do. And, and that can really enhance a, a therapeutic relationship or it can really detract from it. I, I have an example where I have a colleague in Ontario who is working with a, a, a farmer client and he uh, was really struggling with his depression and he did what you know was suggested of him to go to his doctor and to address that. So went to the doctor, had apprehensions about that, but went and so shared with the doctor about his depression. And I think there's thoughts of suicide there too. Mm -hmm. And the doctor pulled out his prescription pad and wrote him uh, a sick note for two weeks. <laughs> and, and so that for that person really severed that trust and, and I guess that connection and respect for the doctor and, you know, probably less likely to to seek out help again another time when when needed so yeah uh, it needs to be culturally uh sensitive and aware and um we need to spread that information into the colleges and universities and to uh egg industries and and just general organizations so that people are getting that information because we're all gatekeepers and we don't have to be experts in mental health and mental illness to be able to recognize and assist somebody. So Absolutely. that would be my next point. <clears throat> and even if, you know, that doctor was probably doing what he was trained to do and, yeah. you know, isn't his fault necessarily. Right. But right. it can definitely, like you said, severely impact that relationship. And I would think many listeners would assume a two week sick note is not going yeah. to help a farmer. <laughs> that is, right. that doesn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely would probably add more stress in fact because yeah. um you, you know animals need to be fed you know a couple <laughs> times a day and so so that would be really hard to to do that um i think about access to services in in rural manitoba rural canada they need to be affordable uh and accessible obviously but affordable you know we need to have options so we need to have low cost no cost services for for farmers again, because they don't have EAP. If you think about it, a rural person, a farm person who needs to go to Winnipeg, I, I live about three month, three hours away from Winnipeg. Mm. So if I'm looking after animals, that is gonna take me six hours travel time, time for the appointment itself. And that's a, a huge chunk of time when they could be working. And then the costs associated with that, obviously you're paying for travel expenses to and from, you're perhaps paying for the service that you're accessing. You may be paying for somebody who's, who's come over to do chores for you for that day or for the two days you've had to be away from the farm. So it has to be accessible um, geographically, you know, mm -hmm. capable of actually getting there. And it has to, it has to be something that farmers can afford. Um, and then the last piece I would say, and, and so important, and I would hear this time and time again in the work that I've been doing is that perhaps with loved ones or family members, you know, my partner, or my son or my daughter, they would reach out, but they're so afraid that people are going to find out, their employer is going to find out. And that scares them and it's a barrier. So they don't yeah. want to access help. But if they 
if they can be assured that here's a safe place, your information is kept confidential, it's not going to go anywhere, then they're more likely to take that risk and to open up and talk to somebody. So, yeah. I think those four, I guess we can kind of call them pillars. Um, yeah. Four pillars of service accessibility in rural communities. Um, I think you explained those really well, and they obviously are very important. And you know, the affordable and accessible they go so hand in hand. Where even yeah. if you're like, oh well, they're only a couple hours from the city, all the resources are there. You know, that's still not necessarily accessible or affordable. For example, we had one stakeholder who was a mother, um, yeah. and her daughter had a lot of mental health problems going on. Mm -hmm. And so she actually ended up having to quit her own job mm -hmm. in order to be able to take her daughter because they were in a rural community and if right. you, you can't drive. And if, if only the only car in your family is the one family vehicle, then exactly, exactly. what other so options do you have? really difficult choices that, that people are having to make in terms of getting their family members the care that they need and deserve. Um, but then, you know, financially will probably really suffer as a result of that impacting further impacting the mental health of of the family perhaps yeah, yeah. The one, and the one thing too I never even ad addressed there but it, with the accessibility piece a big piece of that out here in rural Manitoba is um, you know having really strong reliable internet service right and really strong reliable cell phone service you know working on the on the suicide lines that i have when when you're connecting with people in remote areas and they don't necessarily have to be too remote and people are calling in a state of distress and then cell phone service is disrupted the that's call drops. really that's the call drops and that that is so disheartening for the counselor who's trying to help that person but more importantly that person who was probably scared to call made the call, was really needing that support, and then has lost that connection. That's mm -hmm. heartbreaking to me that that continues to happen. Now, on a, a less kind of life-threatening kind of situation, there's uh, we were going camping a couple of weekends ago, and we passed this, this uh, harvested uh, field. There was a combine in the middle of it, but it was completely scorched. It had caught on fire. And that's not oh, unusual. Wow. You know, every... Summer, you know, you might see one, you might see one or none, but not uncommon. Uh, they catch on fire sometimes. But this young person, I think it was the Brandon son who who did a story on this, had tried multiple times to call 911 to get help to him and eventually was able to, but very stressful situation. Thankfully, nobody was injured or hurt, but that speaks to the urgency that, that we need out here to have accessibility to emergency services, mental health services, you name it. Yeah. And that obviously extends from mental health accessibility to just accessibility of anything, Absolutely. right? Like the need to be Absolutely. able to call 911. And I think just to expand further on kind of what we've been talking about, because we've touched on definitely a, a few of these things. Yeah. But when talking about service accessibility, particularly in rural areas, we need to talk about barriers yes. to service accessibility in rural areas. Do you want to expand a little bit on what barriers exist in rural communities? Yeah. Um, in terms of barrier, I think one of the big ones that I feel both very hopeful and optimistic about, but also uh, a degree of concern around is the stigma that's out there. Mm -hmm. when reaching out for help that tends to be um, quite, um, prominent out here in the agriculture world. We were, we were raised to kind of deal with your issues and problems. They don't leave the farm gate. We deal with it as a family. And so 
Stigma is, is a, a big one. People are afraid to access supports. And at the same time, because of all the mental health campaigns that we're seeing and all of these great conversations that we're having, we're seeing some real movement in that direction. So that's a positive, but still a barrier. You know, we talked about accessibility to services. That's obviously a big barrier in rural mental health or rural um, communities. Um, we spoke briefly about the, the lack of, of knowledge and training that, again, being able to talk to somebody who understands the culture of rural living and farming in particular. So, and the, and the need for people who are coming out into rural areas to have that knowledge and background. And so that starts at the top. So in the universities, in the colleges, you know, um, whether it's paramedicine or uh, physician recruitment out here in rural Manitoba or mental health practitioners, mm-hmm. um, you know, if folks are coming out here, because often there are vacancies out here, and it's that's another kind of issue is keeping these positions filled, right. they're coming out here to fill these positions and get that experience, which is great for them, but almost a disservice to them as well, if they're not getting that training, because when they come into a conversation, a therapeutic relationship with somebody, they might not be hitting the mark with that client, right? Because we know that Different studies, uh, I'm thinking of the Canadian Agriculture, um, Canadian Agriculture Safety Association or CASA in 2005, mm-hmm. they did a, a survey and, and they found that that was a very important aspect to help seeking behavior for farm and rural people is knowing that they could talk to somebody who understands where they're coming from. Right. Um, and yeah. it's, I think it's important that you also highlight that that can not only be frustrating um, and detrimental for, you know, the person who is reaching for support, but also the service provider. Cause I think, you know, the people in these industries um, in health promotion in any way, whether that's paramedics or community mental health workers, whoever, but they are there to help and doing it. And it's a win-win situation. If they are receiving that kind of training, they're going to feel better equipped and more confident to, to kind of helicopter into a community that they, you know, don't know anybody and, um, but they have a skill set to be able to know how to ask these questions or with the history of the area or the community and what the needs are. And, and so, yeah. And so. I think it's a really good lead into, you know, they do need this understanding, not only to help out rural community residents, but also to understand that in general, and especially if rural people are coming into urban centers to access support as well, as we've talked that they often have to do, yeah. is even the urban sort resources need to have an understanding as well. And one of the big things that we realized in the literature was that the single biggest referenced risk factor for suicide and you know mental health was living in a rural community oh wow that that puts people at a a very big disadvantage in terms of a lot of a higher risk for Mm -hmm. for suicide um and you know we kind of and that we did obviously take literature that looked at rural communities and suicide but in that literature rural residents was the biggest factor and associated Mm. with rural residents often was the lack of accessibility to services, greater access to means, and often referenced as the rural anonymity and culture there, like so that lack of anonymity, and also masculine norms and stigma that all kind of go hand in hand to build this risk. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're speaking about risk factors now and you're absolutely right. When farming in particular is predominantly a male dominated profession, although that's changing mm -hmm. where women getting involved, um, we know men are two times more likely to die by suicide than women. And um, when you look at farmers, you know, what farmer doesn't have access to a firearm, which is the most lethal means of taking one's life because they, they need one or multiple guns to for pest control, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so that is placing them at greater risk um, if they have access to that and their mental health is struggling. So really important that we can have those conversations when we identify somebody close to us or a coworker or colleague or whoever that is struggling. We know they have access, you know, talking mm -hmm. about what can we do with those firearms until that person is feeling on more stable ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think this is a really good lead into, like I mentioned, and we've mentioned that the literature, as well as our stakeholders, this was a big uh, discussion point for them. Would you be able to touch it all about, say, transplanting urban services to rural right. centers and just yes. hoping that they work? And maybe even just a little more on how the masculine norms and stigma can particularly affect rural people on accessing those services. Masculine norms. Well, I mean, I think there is kind of this unwritten code of the prairies that men don't ask for help, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's been kind of embedded in us that, you know, farmers are fixers, they're doers, and, and rural men in, in general are expected to be experts in all things, which is an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. um, and so when it comes time to reaching out for help, uh, which everybody needs to do at some point, they often see that as a failure on their part or a reflection on their masculinity that they can't figure out a problem, whether it's around finances, needing, you know, some help, you know, managing the finances of the farm or seeking help um, for their mental health. That hasn't been something that's been socially acceptable for, for many men. And yet we know men and women we are socialized very differently, but we all have the same feelings and emotions. And so it's just that one, one gender has been given permission, essentially at birth to be able to, to talk about things and to um, seek out help. And we haven't given that same permission to men um, until more recently. And so I think it's important that we're targeting men specifically around this. And there's some really good programs out there in Manitoba here. We have men sheds, which yes. have been really um, as you know, wonderful ideas where men can get together and they can build things, do things, task-oriented, maybe play cribbage or whatever. And, and they, they bring in speakers and they, they talk about different things like mental health or maybe it's transitioning off the farm or what, what have you. So mm -hmm. there's, there's some things that are addressing that, but it's definitely something that that is really rooted in our our psyche and, and in our behaviors that again positively is changing yeah is there. and I think it's really good to reference that it is changing and we're obviously mm -hmm. working to yeah. get that to change and I think that's been a you know national international everything campaign to tell men it's yes. okay to talk about it and to experience your feelings and share them yeah and something like men's sheds and these programs mm -hmm. that are specifically talk targeting, I think sometimes it can probably be difficult to attend. Uh, again, this is just my assumptions, yeah. but to attend a say support group that is mixed 
uh, gender and they may not feel comfortable sharing everything with women they don't know or, you know, that added pressure or seeing people who are so readily sharing and they just aren't. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And, And for for people in the mental health field, we have to be really attuned to how are we going to get this message to the the population that needs it? And I think in in the ag industry, I think they've done a really good job of hosting conferences and they're embedding mental health keynote speakers, or there might be a panel discussion on mental health and and more and more. um, That's just the norm in farm related conferences talking about mental health. So another example of good positive work being done to break down the stigma. Mm-hmm. And just a fun fact and around the subject for, yeah. you know, men and actually specifically farmers <laughs> reaching yeah. out is we actually held one consultation. And unfortunately, he did have to leave due to as we we're talking about connectivity. But right. we did have a farmer um, attend the consult consultation from his tractor in the field. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I love stories like that. Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, he didn't have good service. Um, yeah. So he did have to drop out. But yeah. we were just so impressed and like <laughs> for effort. Yeah, just so happy that he he tried. He showed up yeah. from his, I don't know if he was an attractor or a combine, but what from literally working in the field. <laughs> yes, that's well, and when I was working on the farm line, that's where many of our calls would come from. People that were in the combine or hauling grain or just running into the house when they had 15 minutes break, or you know, so that that speaks to the the crazy hours that farmers keep but also their their interest i think there's more and more interest that is being shown out there that even if we were to look at it on an economic basis right when farmers are struggling with with their mental health they're not they're not contributing in the same way to the economy you know families suffer relationships suffer so it has it has a, a real big ripple effect And I think this is a really good place to, you know, one final thing I really want us to maybe touch upon is that there were talks of in our consultations, policy, funding, grassroots organizations, and formal supports, among other things. So what do you think is the most effective way to increase service accessibility in rural communities? Or is it a combination of many things? Yes, I, I think that it is a combination of many things. We need to have a basket of services for mm-hmm. people to choose from. If a support group works for you, let's make that accessible. If you need treatment or detox for addiction issues, you deserve access to that. If you're an mm-hmm. Indigenous person, a farmer, you need specialized services that addresses your unique needs. All of those things. But I think the the lowest bar, I think the foundation of all of that in this day and age is really that connectivity to uh, high-speed internet access and reliable cell phone service. And I think everything else can stem from that. If we can get those things in all parts of our country, and and I'm not an expert, um, but I I know that the, the technology is there. I think it just needs to be really impressed upon, you know, the major, the major cell phone companies and and politicians to kind of push this forward, because it's not just good business sense for rural people to have those things. It's also life saving measures, right? It can potentially be saving lives. So I would say that is that is the bar we have to we have to really work at. And then 
so many people can access uh, Zoom therapy sessions with counselors or with other specialists, uh, support groups online. I mean, for some people, they really enjoy that. For other people, it's not ideal, but it's something. And yeah. we have to do the best we can with what we have. Yeah. And I, I guess I don't want to say it's a starting point because there is yeah. so many people that are out in rural communities trying mm-hmm. to provide services and supports. But I think that yeah. connectivity is so important. I think COVID has obviously put probably a lot more stress than good into the world and especially for people uh, in rural communities. But, you know, that new accessibility to therapists and, you know, counselors, whoever are now doing Zoom sessions um, more regularly or even just phone sessions, um, that is an aspect of accessibility that wasn't potentially there before, which is, you know, I an improvement in a way that yes. is really exciting. Um, but, you know, there are obviously so many people that would like to access that, but yeah. don't have the Wi-Fi to do Zoom or exactly. don't have those things. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. And I do want to highlight, we obviously have a number of grassroots organizations across mm-hmm. the country yeah. that are doing a lot of really good work and really putting in Absolutely. the work out there. And right. And we but need to we listen need to, to those folks. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they have their ears to the ground and they're doing the work and they see what the needs are. And I think that's such a critical piece to this is for anybody who's making those policy decisions or, you know, those bigger macro decisions that you have to, you have to be paying attention and asking the people on the ground who are doing the work. And you have to ask the people that are being impacted by the lack of services. What do you need? Um, what aren't you getting? Um, how is this impacting you? Um, so yeah, it has to, it has to go up and it has to come from both ways. Yeah. yeah vitally important. Well, I think that's a great note for us to kind of conclude on ideas for future accessibility, things we can improve on, and also mm-hmm. things and people who are putting in the work and are trying to help in every way they can. And so thank you very much, Kim, for joining me today and talking about this very important topic. Mm -hmm. So for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Please remember to engage in self-care and reach out for supports as you need. And again, this is Leaning In and Speaking Out. I'm Kira Roush, and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. For more episodes or to learn more about the BU Cares Research Centre, please visit our website at brandonu.ca forward slash BU cares, or you can come find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube.